Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue from BTN coming at you from home with the portable podcast set up once again as we're now pushing four weeks since this crisis kind of hit home here in the U.S. and within the sports world. And now that we're kind of up and running with a regular cadence of podcasts, um, trying our best to, to bring that content to you so you will not be uh, too bored while you are working from home and doing pretty much everything else from home. So we actually had a, a good episode just dropped a few days ago with Tim Miles, the former Nebraska coach, and we got another great one that we wanted to get out that we recorded last week and uh, didn't want to sit on the shelf too long. So dropping that here today, and it features a recurring guest on the show. I think this is his third time on Take 10 Podcast. It's current BTN basketball analyst, former Wisconsin Badger, Ben Brust. And Ben was one of the first guests on the podcast way back in 2017. Uh, came back on during the LeVar Ball and La, uh, LaMelo Ball news when they are playing in Lithuania because Ben himself actually played professionally in Lithuania and he cut off with some context then. And we got him back on now as we continue to try and create original at-home content around uh, Big Ten athletes, personalities. And with Ben, we did just that, uh, not only just with this podcast you're about to hear, but uh, after Ben and I talked for about 15 minutes for the podcast, we had him bring in his former Wisconsin teammates, some of the biggest names to play Big Ten basketball in recent years, like Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, and some other guys like Zach Showalter and Josh Gosser. They all got on a video chat or video call on Zoom. Everyone's using Zoom these days, so we're no different. And uh, they reminisced on some of their playing days. So you'll hear Ben's interview with me here on the the show. If you want to hear and watch Ben and his teammates reminisce, we'll be rolling that video out in the coming days on BTN's digital platforms. I think the entire interview should be available on YouTube shortly here. So that was a lot of fun to not only talk to Ben one-on-one, but also observe and produce the video call with him and his uh, 2014 teammates and those 2015 Badgers that also uh, went to the Final Four and made a run to the National Championship game. So Badger fans, keep an eye out for that. That'll be coming soon. But the interview with Ben Bruss is coming up right now. We chat uh, coronavirus disruption to our daily and sports lives. We talk Wisconsin basketball and kind of the roller coaster season. And you can hear all that and whatever else we got to right now. Very pleased to be rejoined by Ben Bruss. I think it's his third time on the show. Former Badger, Hooper, current BTN basketball analyst. Ben, third time's a charm, man. Welcome back. It's great to be back. I miss basketball. It was such a fun season, and I just miss basketball. I miss sports. I miss seeing March. I mean, this is March 31st. We're heading into what would have been uh, Final Four weekend, 10 Big Ten teams probably making the tournament this year. Who would have made a run? Usually we get one. Could 20-year anniversary of Michigan State winning a national title. Could have, I, just, I, I just miss it all. Yeah, it's a big bummer. Um, you know, big picture, though. How are, how are things going in your neck of the woods? It's all kind of crazy and still surreal down here in Chicago. Uh, assume you're – actually, I don't know if you're, if you're still in Madison or not. I haven't checked in, but I know you do your radio show in Madison. So how's your life kind of been put on hold, and, and what are you up to these days now with uh, your radio show still going up in Madison and 
just everything kind of being put on pause. It's been interesting because the governor of Wisconsin progressively went into a safer at home initiative, which ultimately is trying to get everyone, if you're non-essential business to stay at home, radio is essential. So I've been able to still do my show, uh, but it started by going over to my co-host's house every day. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave my house, but I would at least get to, as I would say, have recess where I jump in my car, drive 10 minutes, put the windows down, feel some fresh air, do the show and drive back. So that was great until last Tuesday. So about, um, you know, it was, it was just great to be able to do that. And then I got stuck at home, no matter what, I have radio equipment at my home. And then next thing you know, this is my life for the foreseeable future. Now I will say I lived, I lived alone for like five years. And then a year and a half ago, I moved in with a couple roommates and it has been a godsend. Just to have that company around. Yeah. I definitely feel you on that. Um, you do the afternoon show in Madison on, on their ESPN affiliate there. How do you generate content now that you guys are a part? I know it's kind of been a challenge for us as a network to get everyone on the same page, you know, get everyone connected, even on like basic chat functions or, or video call functions. Have you guys had to adjust a lot or has it been kind of smooth? Um, it's been kind of fun because it, a lot of the things that you've planned on doing over the course of time gets put aside when things just happen in the world of sports or you react to it or go to a different topic because Aaron Rodgers uh, did something like in Wisconsin, it's all, it's all Aaron Rodgers, right? He, he runs the show, the Packers run the show. And then for the Badgers, they've been great as well from, um, you know, having everything going on all season from, um, struggling early, Kobe King leaving, the strength coach. There's been a lot of different conversations there, but I just got off the phone with my co-host and now we can start doing all the things that we've wanted to do. We've been uh, betting on the weather is something we've talked about, um, you know, setting an over under for the high temperature, who's got the over, who's got the under. He just got married. So doing a little spin off of the newlywed game where I'm going to interview his wife and ask him some, ask her some questions. And then Greg, I'll have to ask him what she said and we'll see, you know, how close they are. Cause what I have been seeing is a lot of people predicted a baby boom from this. I'm starting to see articles that tell me the opposite that uh, divorce rates are super uh, high right now coming out of China, which might, you know, then um, trend over to the United States as we are a little bit behind. So you really find out in quarantine who, uh, who you like to spend time with now and stay insane with the roommates. But again, might be heading towards that divorce path when my lease is up. Yeah, you realize what you got yourself into for a lot of people. Um, you know, I know you didn't lack for creativity. Last time I was in Madison, you guys were in the middle, or, or you were in the middle of a personal bet that had come from the, your radio show. <laughs> you had lost a bet, so you had to go vegan for a week, and you were just kind of chugging, like, mixed nuts, I remember, uh, <laughs> the way to, as a way to nourish during the vegan. So I know, I know you guys don't lack for that creativity up there. I can't believe that you got to witness that. I mean, that was one of the worst punishments I've had to endure, mostly because like, I just, I've always been a meat eater. I, I love, well, as I would say football food, you know, wings and pulled pork and all that stuff. Like I, I live for that and to have to switch and even pasta, who knew that like just noodles had like egg in them and it, a vegan is next level from vegetarian. You can't have anything that comes close to something with a heartbeat so uh, i had to get creative there again and now i just think about how 
weird it must have been as like I see you, you know, you know, when I come over to the studios in Chicago and then you're up coming up to Madison and just carrying around a handful of nuts. It's <laughs> such a weird thing to think that I was doing. Uh, but it's been fun as well. Yeah. We've, fun. Had, uh, we've had Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky come on the radio show. And we do a game called Are You Smarter Than Ben Brust? And it's sort of a spinoff of Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Where like some of these questions are a little bit tougher. You don't remember them all. But I'm 0-2 right now. I lost to Frank and I lost to Sam, which uh, which doesn't make me happy. Considering they, they didn't even know the rules of the game. They came in and just spanked me. <laughs> We're about to get uh, some of those guys on, some of your old teammates on here in a little bit to uh, to reminisce a little, um, not for the podcast necessarily, but for some uh, just like a roundtable style video. So that should be fun. How much do you keep up with those guys just in general? It sounds like Frank and Sam are pretty close, um, but teammates from, you know, the 14 run and earlier in your career, how much are you still in contact with those guys? Uh, I got pretty lucky because the weekend before really coronavirus hit, you know, travel and bands and safer at home acts i visited frank kaminsky with josh gosser and dan fahey a former teammate in phoenix so definitely do um a decent job of keeping up and um, i visited frank in charlotte but i love visiting phoenix already way more than that it was 80 um didn't get to see him play as he was hurt at the time but he's using this time to get to get better but i think that's what's so great is when everyone says you know oh I love watching you guys play and the 2014 and even you know the next year for the 2015 guys continuously you always hear the same thing from former players and that's I love just being around the guys and I miss that you know the camaraderie and the moments off the court versus on the court now on the court will always be you know the best like but what you remember more of is the times that you guys weren't and for me what stands out is I've turned into a 19-year-old again in quarantine. I bought a, a bigger TV and a PS4. So I've been playing a ton of Call of Duty, and that reminded me of when I was in college. Frank Kaminsky and I, we played Call of Duty, which was like a zombies level where it just continuously sends zombies at you. And he had his um, game system and a TV. I ended up bringing my TV from my apartment across the hall into his room. So we each had our own TV, and we linked uh, game systems and played 12 hours straight of Call of Duty and it's just stuff like that whereas like I just missed that so uh, I think Frank would be probably my quarantine buddy. Weren't you with Frank uh, that was the weekend in Phoenix that was the same weekend that Wisconsin won the Big Ten if I remember correctly because I got a Snapchat of Frank <laughs> in some ridiculous like floral print short shorts outfit uh, what was going on was, was were you guys just happened to be you know was he happened to wear that outfit during the game or did he throw it on in celebration what was going on while you guys were taking in uh the latest big 10 championship edition of wisconsin badger basketball it's funny you're asking me detailed questions alex as uh <laughs> you know it took it took a nice text message from you as i i think i did the snapchat of frank um of him in that goofy outfit which i think was for like something he was doing from an ad perspective right um but you texted me, you're like, you should put that out on social media. Cause I I'm not going to lie. I was a, a pretty aggressive, um, beautiful Saturday um, in Phoenix in which we're drinking heavily in the morning, all the way into the celebration of the afternoon. Uh, so I think he just had it on. I want to say after, I think he put it on to celebrate. Um, so Frank thinking, thinking ahead and it worked out cause it was, it was 
such a weird outfit too. Like if somehow he always ends up with stuff that's quirky and just fitting for who he is. So getting into that uh, Wisconsin team from this past season before we wrap up here, they were on that roll. Uh, the BPI, ESPN even predicted that they would, using their algorithms, win the national championship uh, if the tournament had been played. Was this just kind of the biggest roller coaster of a season of, of Wisconsin basketball you can remember from the transfer of Kobe King and uh, the terrible circumstances surrounding Howard Moore in the beginning of the season? How do you put this season kind of into perspective now, reflecting on it? I mean, I'm watching from a distance. It's hard not to just feel proud. Like, you know what I mean? It was just with everything that went on all, I mean, around Madison living here, people were calling for Greg Gard's head. Like they wanted him fired because of, and I'm thinking everyone relax. He's following Bo Ryan, which is an, like an impossible task. Um, and when he did take over, uh, Bo, you know, that season when he left, the, the the team wasn't in good shape and he got to a sweet 16 the first year, you know, in that crazy transition. So I had tweeted out that Greg Gard continuously, you know, fights through adversity and it seems to be his calling card. Um, but you can't even like, you can't even plan nor fathom what one feels or goes through with what happened with coach Moore. Um, just going back to that. I mean, Josh Gosser's wedding was Memorial day weekend. And uh, that's when, it all it all sort of started. I know Coach Guard was with his family getting away and just got there and had to drive right back and get out to, to Michigan to be with Coach Moore and family. And it, and it just – it still sucks. That's something that, like, that's one of those things where it stings you um, at random moments, um, how horrible that situation is. Uh, but for Coach Guard, the way it all – I mean, it's storybook. Honestly, the whole thing is storybook from – Orlando Tucker filling the role of, of Coach Howard Moore, and he'll never be Coach Howard Moore, but he can, you know, he was close with his family, their kids got along, like it just felt organic for Orlando to be that guy, and then, you know, struggling early on in the season, a lot of people calling for his head, and then Kobe King transferring, I, I mean, nine out of ten coaches in that situation aren't able to do what happened there, like no one's able to just pull a team together knock off eight straight also even have a little bit of a situation with your strength coach of the middle of the season and knock off eight straight and get a share of the big 10 title. I, I mean, look, when I talked to the teammates that I played with, like watching this team wasn't that fun. Like I, I didn't think they were very good. Um, I thought they had potential to be, I thought they had five guys who could space the floor and it fit how Wisconsin teams were successful, but they didn't have, that it factor you it looked like they were sleepwalking out there and all of a sudden something clicked and that's where I have to just give coach guard credit and it was storybook the end of seeing the buzzer sound and him celebrate with his arms in the air it was a cool moment that like and that's where I started with this conversation of what did I feel for this 2020 season for the Badgers like honestly like proud I mean that was such a swing yeah it's well said and it's a good place to to end I think just kind of summing up the entire season and you know you and I work in sports you were involved uh you know at one of the highest levels of sports and with this situation and with the Howard Moore situation you know they're just kind of reminders that real life can interrupt in in uh sometimes terribly unfortunate ways but sports can uh kind of bring us all together and I think once we're on the other side of this uh it will 
once again. So well said, Ben. We got some of your teammates waiting to come in the chat now for our, our video portion roundtable. So we'll wrap it up here for the podcast portion. Thanks again for jumping on, and let's talk some hoops with uh, your uh, old buddies here. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, bud. All right. Thanks once again to Ben for joining me. Always appreciate him coming on and sharing his perspective and also appreciate his help organizing the, uh, the aforementioned video chat with his teammates. I believe we're calling it the video recall series, kind of a play on words there with the video call format of the interview. So if you like Ben's interview or if you like Wisconsin basketball or just Big Ten basketball in general, you need to consume some some uh, sports content during this time, definitely keep an eye out for Ben, Sam Decker, Frank Kaminsky, Josh Gosser, and Zach Showalter's video call coming out soon on BTN platforms. All right, next guest on this episode of the Take 10 Podcast is a regular one. Try and get him on once a week during Big Ten football and basketball season. Harold Shelton, our BTN researcher, uh, for his stat head segment that he does on this show. We in season talk about uh you know kind of the news of the day and, and matchups and stats and go behind the numbers but since obviously there's no sports on right now i wanted to use his archive knowledge and dive into some more creative topics and try and think up some concepts that can uh appeal to fans a little bit here on the show and, and just mix it up so Harold and I do talk a little bit of news of the day, talk some transfers, talk some wider implications of uh, this disruption to the sports world, but we also came up with a sort of brainstorming session, and we discussed which Big Ten teams in the last 20 years, so since the year 2000, uh, were the best to never win the national championship. So these are football and basketball, and teams that... You know, were historic and and really stood out. Maybe had the talent to win, but just didn't get it done for whatever reason. And are usually really recognizable or memorable, even outside of Big Ten circles. So we're talking nationally relevant, memorable teams. You're th- talking about 2015 Wisconsin, like we discussed uh, those guys on Zoom earlier. And then you're thinking 2005 Illinois basketball both agree that 2019 Ohio State football falls in that category. So without giving too much away, we will get right into the discussion with Harold and hear the rest of the uh, the teams that jumped out at us, and feel free to cheer about us on Twitter if you disagree. It's the Stathead segment with Harold Shelton. Starts right now. All right, please once again to be joined in isolation by Harold Shelton. We're back with another Stathead segment. H, how's it going, man? Uh, so far, so good. You know, it's uh, another week, another day in quarantine. But, you know, we're making the most of it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is the stat head segment. And, and during season, we like to break down games that are happening a little more in depth and, and get into more of the numbers. But the current circumstances, you know, I feel like this is just a good time to kind of chop it up casually and talk about the news of the day and then, We've uh, discussed some some topics we might be able to get into from the past to, to reflect on. You know, we'll, we'll just keep it a little more casual since, you know, we're kind of living in this weird limbo. So I think we uh, can kind of come here once a week at least to just relax and, you know, talk sports. 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely provides some sort of normalcy, you know, to at least have this segment. You know, we've been so used to doing it, you know, every week kind of dating back to football. So it's at least nice to keep the ball rolling, even if we have to find some, some stuff to talk about. We can't actually react off of games. But, you know, we, we're creative minds. We can figure something out. Right, and I feel like I kind of shut my brain off to the outside world at times throughout this, um, you know, this period of self-isolation or quarantine and, and have to be reminded sometimes that news is still coming out as far as uh, sports developments, especially in the Big Ten. Um, it didn't last long, actually. Like that first week we were in our homes, all that crazy NFL news broke with Tom Brady going to the Bucks, and there was just all kinds of free agency. So that kind of snapped me out of it. But once in a while, I'll kind of fade back into that mindset of, uh, you know, the world shut down. That means no news is going to break. Well, we, we haven't, you know, we, we've been snapped out of that quickly in the Big Ten world as well. There's been some announcements, some commitments, some players, especially on the basketball side of things, deciding they're going to either test the NBA waters or leave for the NBA outright and hire an agent. And I think off the top, we have to discuss uh, Caleb Wesson's decision. He announced, um, I believe, yesterday or today, um, we're sitting here on, on Wednesday right now, that he would hire an agent and leave Ohio State. So I don't know when this episode's going to drop exactly, so it might be a little dated, but that's it's a huge development just off the top right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a guy who, you know, led the Buckeyes in scoring the last couple of years. Um, you could tell he was really, really focused on his game during the offseason because he dropped a ton of weight. And I remember looking at him at media day, you know, back in October, and he looked like a totally different person. And that was able to translate over to the season. He stayed on the floor longer. He was able to, to guard away from the bucket. You know, he actually was able to play more minutes, didn't get in foul trouble nearly as much. And he had his best collegiate season, you know, second team, all Big Ten player. And, you know, best of luck to him going forward. For sure. How do you picture Ohio State coming out next year, you know, losing Wesson, losing Carton? Um, you know, they got Towns in the program now. How do you think this affects them uh, heading into 2021? You know, I think everything's still kind of fluid right now because, you know, the grad transfer market is heating up. You know, that you already got Seth Towns in from Harvard. And, you know, I feel like there's, you know, more dominoes to fall on that front. You know, there's been, you know, a lot of rumored guys from smaller leagues who were big-time players that are rumored to – you know, have favorites, favorite schools in the Big Ten. And so, you know, right now, you know, I've seen, you know, a couple of, you know, way too early predictions have them, you know, in the top three of the conference. Um, I wouldn't be, you know, too surprised if that was the case. But, uh, you know, Big Ten should be deep again next year. And so, you know, even if they aren't in that top three or four, they could still be, you know, a top 15 or top 20 team, actually, just because of the way the league is. Yeah, another uh, name that has made some waves on that front but has not hired an agent is Isaiah Livers out of Michigan. Um, he looked really impressive when he was healthy this past year. Showed some explosiveness and kind of another element to his game that I didn't really realize he had in his first couple of years in Michigan. But he is testing the waters in the NBA. Still could uh, leave the door open to come back. And just another program that, you know, it's, is – poised to bring a lot of talent in, but is also losing quite a bit. So be interesting to see there. And, and I just want to get your thoughts, you know, and we'll bundle livers into this discussion on how you think this uncertainty 
with the outside world going on with schedules being disrupted and, you know, the NBA season still suspended and, and, you know, potentially pushing back the timeline or canceling a combine and, and workouts and meetings with teams and agents and, and all the things that kind of go into a normal NBA developmental period for prospective NBA players and, and current college athletes. How do you think this might affect a young man's decision, whether they come out of school or test the waters and potentially come back to school? I think it affects it greatly. I mean, I, I was always in favor of guys who, if they have a thought about going to the league, they should always put their name in to get the feedback. Now, you know, don't go hire an agent right away if you're still on the fence about coming back. But if you get invited to that combine, if you play your way into staying into the draft, I think it's great. If you go and decide, hey, you know what, I got a lot more to work on. Scouts are telling me I need to work on A, B, and C. That's invaluable stuff that you could take back with you and work on for the following season. Um, we saw that with Carson Edwards a couple of years ago. He put his name in, decided to come back, has the great tournament, winds up being, you know, an early second rounder. We saw with Kevin Herter, you know, from Maryland, he declared, completely blew up the combine, stayed into the draft, became a first round pick. And so guys like Livers and Tillman who have declared they might not get that same chance to have that combine, to have those workouts to, you know, really show, you know, what they're all about. And you know, in Tillman's case, that might be okay because if you just look at his tape, especially the last, you know, month of the season or so when he was able to, you know, kind of neutralize Luca Garza and Lamar Stevens and Jalen Smith, they might see enough on tape and say, hey, that's great. But you don't get that extra time to just, you know, go through the workouts, go through those three-on-three, one-on-one drills. And from that point, I think that part pretty – it hurts – greatly and so you don't have that that extra little boost either way you're kind of just eh, this is what I want to do and I guess this is going to be the decision I have to make there's not enough emphasis yeah there's going to be I think a few different categories of guys right like you're going to get the Wessons and the Oturus who have their minds made up they're going you know they're done with college and it's time to hire an agent and play regardless of, of what the path forward looks like in the outside world, then I think you're right. There's like this gray area of guys who would probably be invited to the combine if there was one held on time and, you know, would be able to get that valuable feedback or, you know, would be in that other tier that maybe didn't quite make the combine, but could still get that, that feedback. And, you know, I just think it's, we're speculating a lot here, but I just think it's going to be really tough to, hold that type of event in six weeks is when it usually is. I think it's usually uh, mid to late May. So, uh, you know, not only is, is that type of event in doubt or kind of I'm skeptical that it'll be on schedule, but just the prep for an event like that is going to be a thrown out of whack. I mean, these guys, depending on their access, might be sitting at home without even access to a hoop right now. Like they're doing, you know, workouts in their room doing circuit training in their in their house it's going to be really interesting to see guys that you might have assumed were gone and see how their decision process plays out like you know being an Illinois guy and and seeing on uh, social media speculation pretty much every day on my Twitter timeline it's like is I would assume we're going to stay or go um, and I, I would you know I, I think if he left I would be 
totally fine with that, you know, putting myself in his shoes because I assumed he was gone from the jump this season, assuming he had a good year and he did, but this kind of just throws everything out of, uh, out of whack. The whole process is disrupted. And now, you know, how is he going to make that decision if he's a projected second rounder say, and didn't get the NCAA tournament stage to shine on to maybe elevate himself into the first round like Carson Edwards did a couple of years ago when he, when he pretty much elevated himself into that first round because he absolutely dominated in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, for someone like that, it's just a really interesting and fascinating dynamic. It's unfortunate, but there's a number of guys that I could see it benefiting um, them to come back potentially, or at least benefiting their big 10 teams if they come back because this whole timeline has been disrupted. Yeah. And, and not only is it an issue in terms of the draft. I mean, it's the same in recruiting right now, too. I feel like there's going to be a lot of schools who are going to, especially local schools, that might benefit from the fact that there isn't, uh, you know, the the normal recruiting process. You know, the dead period just got extended to May 30th. And a lot of these guys, if they want to make their decisions, it might just be, hey, I already visited this place, so I know, you know, all about it. You know, the, the scheduled visit I might have had out to California or to Florida or to Texas, I can't make. And I don't know when I'll be able to make it. And so a lot of people might wind up just having to decide based off of previous information or based off of just Zoom calls like we're having right now. I mean, it's just, it's just a completely, you know, unforeseen thing. Well, how about a guy that, you know, maybe isn't projected as a first rounder, but could be a second rounder, undrafted free agent? who thinks in a normal year they might be able to catch on with a summer league team, play their way into a two-way contract, you know, get, catch on the G League. They might be done with school in a normal year and, and out of that mindset and ready to, to be a pro, but we might not have a summer league now. They might be using those Vegas reservations for the NBA finals instead uh, at that point in the summer at this point. You, you just don't know. It's so early to tell, and if I'm a – if I'm that level athlete, which I unfortunately never was and can't pretend to be now, but I don't know if I'm willing to gamble and risk my future if I have that eligibility still waiting for me on the other side. So it's just going to be really, really, you know, I, I hate saying fascinating because this is this, we shouldn't be treating this like a, an experiment or anything like that. Like these are lives, livelihoods on the line, but um, it's just gonna be interesting to see when we look back and, and see kind of the ripple effects from, from this uh, situation. And I'm glad you brought up recruiting too, because I don't know if it factored into this young man's decision in particular, as far as, you know, going far away or potentially getting out of the state, but Rutgers just got a huge recruit and Cliff O'Marui, uh, top 50, top 45 recruit, one of their highest recruits ever, I believe to commit to Rutgers basketball. He just committed earlier this week. And, and that's a guy that uh, could maybe not transform the program because they've already kind of reached that, national prominence to a degree, but it's going to keep that ball rolling. And, and it's a huge get for, for Rutgers. Yeah. I mean, it's classic aid adage of if you build it, they'll come. Right. And so, you know, Steve Peichel pretty much laid out the blueprint and he told him, you know, early on at when he was recruiting them, Hey, you know, we're going to put a team together. We're going to start winning. We're going to have the building blacks. We're going to make the tournament. And Omarui pretty much you know, admitted after he committed, like, yeah, everything he said was going to happen is what happened. And that's why I committed. And so, you know, I fully believed in what he was 
was selling. The product spoke for itself. That was a team that was going to make the tournament for the first time in nearly 30 years. And now you add a guy like that. I mean, it shows that the ball is really rolling in Piscataway. For sure. And I don't have the roster in front of me, but they don't lose hardly anyone next year, right? I mean, Baker's back. Um, Harper Miles be Johnson's back. back. Harper. Jacob Young. Is he, he back? Yep. yep, he'll be back. Mathis. Who do they lose? I mean, they were a really, really young team. I think they might lose Shaq Carter. Yeah. Um, but other but, you know, than that. I mean, I mean, major contributor is pretty much all back. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, they do did. lose Yaboa. You know, he was a guy who started for them, um, you know, played big minutes when Eugene Omaruyi wound up leaving the program yeah. unexpectedly. But, you know, to your point, I mean, Ryan Harper was a sophomore, Mathis was a sophomore, McConnell, Miles Johnson, all sophomores. Um, you know, Geo Baker's a junior, so he'll be back. I mean, they, they're going to be loaded. And, you know, hopefully they can, you know, build that momentum, especially with the younger Omaruyi coming aboard. And, you know, instead of being ranked for just one week, maybe they'll be a fixture in the top 25. All right, I want to switch to football real quick before we talk about our, our topic of the day um, and our, our historical look back that we're going to do. I just want to speculate a little more, if we could, about how the NFL and some of our Big Ten players – um, and their path as the NFL might be affected. Um, you know, the NFL seems like they're poised to get this draft going, you know, on schedule and, and doing it remotely. And it'll obviously, you know, determine quite a few of our, our Big Ten players' futures. Uh, if, it, if it goes on without a hitch, it kind of stinks for them. They're not going to have that experience walking to the stage and, and shaking the commissioner's hand in Vegas and doing that whole Bellagio boat thing that was, was going to happen or was, was scheduled to happen. Uh, out there in the fountains, but it'll be interesting to see if they have this on schedule and just how the whole thing kind of works. Because if it goes on as scheduled, uh, as far as the date goes, it's going to be one of the biggest, you know, and most surreal kind of sporting events in history because it's going to be one of the first things to, to be on TV and air during this whole uh pandemic. So it's going to be wild, yeah, definitely going to be wild. It seems like the whole time the NFL has kind of said, hey, look, I know this is happening, but we're the NFL and we're going to just go on the schedule. Um, so I guess I'm not too surprised that the draft will, at least for now, go on the schedule. Uh, they already had their combine. You know, they've already voted to have another playoff, uh, playoff team added to each conference. So at the end of the day, NFL is, you know, a money-making machine. They don't want to see that stop um, unless absolutely necessary. Like, to your point, though, like, it's going to be weird to see, you know, Chase Young and Jeff Okuda get drafted top five, top ten via Zoom. And, you know, like, how will they – like, will they put the hat on, you know, recruiting-wise, recruiting style? Like, I wonder how the production value is going to look. Like, all that stuff is going to be very, very interesting. And I guess, you know, to a certain point, like we've seen guys who haven't gone to the draft kind of be at home with their family. But even then, you're not supposed to have a big group of people with you. So if it's right. just you and your parents, is it just you and your brother or what sister? Kind of camera crew is going to be in there? Like, are they even allowed to have, like, people filming? You know what I mean? Like, probably technically not if you're following these guidelines from the CDC. So it's going to be so strange and bizarre. And I just wonder how they're going to – broadcast something like this it's going to be a, a wild um 
endeavor that that it's going to hopefully I mean go on but you know you kind of almost feel selfish saying that as a, as a sports fan because we don't know how bad this can get by the end of April yeah exactly I think you know every every day every week you know we're figuring out something new seems like the cases continue to to increase um the the stay-at-home orders continue to to lengthen out you know, at first it was, you know, we won't go back to work for a couple of weeks and now it might be, be the end of April. And so I feel like, you know, everything is kind of fluid right now. And, you know, we'll just react as the, as we hear the news. All right. So enough speculation for now, even though we are going to kind of by nature speculate in this next uh, segment. And you and I were talking, kind of brainstorming how to keep this content train rolling while, uh, you know, the sports have stopped and, I think we're going to try and pick a topic to focus in on for at least half these segments each week. And the one that we settled on this week is one that I, I feel like comes up just in water cooler conversation and bar conversation every once in a while, um, especially in big 10 country. Cause we haven't frankly had a lot of national championship teams in the last 20 years. So we were talking about uh, naming or just going over some of the best big 10 teams in football and basketball that did not win a national championship uh, since the year 2000. So basketball, we got a lot of options because we haven't won a big 10 or won a national championship since 2000, since your Spartans did it. Uh, We'll never know if they were going to have that symmetry this year, the 2020 squad. But, um, you know, I feel like there's been a lot of teams, especially in basketball that most years, if, if like their scenarios were, shuffled or if those teams played in different years and some of the the weaker years in that sport they would have coasted to a national title so uh i don't know if you're ready to attack this but uh we can start with football and basketball but just want to get your take on before we even dive in like why you think for being such a strong conference mostly year in and year out why there haven't been that many national titles to show for it yeah it's interesting because Big Ten and ACC are always near the top in terms of Final Four teams. You know, obviously getting to the final weekend and even the final game hasn't been an issue. I mean, we've seen Illinois do it. We've seen Wisconsin do it. We've seen Michigan do it a couple of times. We've seen Michigan State do it. And just for whatever reason, you know, whether it's, you know, they've run into, you know, an all-time team or, you know, they just happen to lose in the last couple of plays. You know, they just haven't been able to get over that hump. I do think recruiting is a big part of it. Um, and I think at a certain point, you can out-coach and out-scheme somebody for so long. But when you get to that final week and that final game, you know, pretty much everything's equal on the sidelines. And a lot of times in a game like that, you know, talent will win out. And I think more often than not, when we've gotten to these title games and the loss, it's we've just – the Big Ten team has lost to the more talented team. You know, I, I feel like there hasn't really been a situation where you've looked at the rosters of the teams and you're like, oh, man, I'm really, really surprised they lost. Now, Wisconsin, could they have beaten Duke in 2015? Sure. You know, could Michigan have beaten Louisville in 2013? Absolutely. But, you know, a couple plays here and there swung those games, and they usually were done by guys who were pros. Yeah, we touched on it briefly, uh, I think, on a previous discussion we had for the podcast, but it kind of hit home for me when 
we were looking over the NBA All-Star rosters in Chicago this year, and, and I went over to the All-Star festivities, and, and we got some fun content with the participants in All-Star Weekend that were Big Ten alums, but there were no Big Ten alums in the All-Star game. Usually, at least I have Draymond Green in there, or maybe D'Angelo Russell or someone like that in, in the festivities um, to represent, but we were – kind of latching on to the Rising Stars game and the dunk contest and three-point contest because the Big Ten had no NBA All-Stars. And I think, you know, like you said, when it comes down to it, talent wins out a lot of times when you get to that the end of the road in the final game. And the Big Ten just not put out as many lottery picks as the ACC does. And you run into that ACC team, whether it's uh, 2005 North Carolina team or North Carolina team in 09, um, and there, you know, or Maryland in 02. There's just a lot of talent, top line talent on on some of these teams that uh, the teams run into. Or Duke in in 2015 with Wisconsin, and the lottery picks kind of bear it out. So I I think it's like a, a fluke that at least one of those teams hasn't broken through in right. the past 20 years. Like that, some of these are coin flips essentially. But you know, when your tw- 2006, uh, or I'm sorry, 2005 North Carolina team, there's six man. Marvin Williams is a, you know, I think the second overall pick. It's just like sometimes the talent just wins out. But anyway, um, talking all that basketball, let's let's actually start on the football side. I want to hear some of your um, best teams to not win at all in the last 20 years. And I think the only team that has won the national title has been Ohio State in 14 and 02, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, those are the two. I fully believed that the 2019 version was good enough to do so as well. Um, They're the team that sticks out to me as the best, especially the best in the Big Ten Network era. So going back to 2007, um, I mean, this was a team that pretty much ran roughshod over the entire league, Um, you know, and I don't think people expected it at that kind of level with Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer, um, brand new quarterback, but, I mean, there are pros all over the place. I mean, obviously, we'll see if there is an NFL draft. We'll see a lot of Ohio State players drafted early, uh, especially in the first round on the defensive side with uh, Chase Young and Jeff Okuda. Um, if Sean Wade isn't ejected in that Clemson game, I fully believe they would have played LSU and would have had a really good chance of winning that game. Um, I would have loved to see that secondary against those LSU receivers, and unfortunately, uh, we didn't get that chance. But – I definitely think they are the the best team over the last 20 years or so that hasn't won it all from the Big Ten. Yeah, it's not recency bias, I don't think, either. Like like you said, the numbers bear it out. Um, that semifinal game, the Fiesta Bowl against Clemson, you know, a lot of times if you're attached to a team or you observe a team, you can fall into the trap of like, well, if the refs would have done this or – if this break would have gone this way, I actually think that's one of those games where the game completely turned. Uh, Clemson was absolutely shook. Uh, you know, I was in, in the building. The fans were, were on their heels. They weren't making any noise. Ohio State had more fans there. They were going nuts. Um, but I think the, the team, the Clemson players, you know, literally were out of their element for a while. And then that one call happened, like you mentioned, the ejection, the targeting call. And the whole dynamic shifted. And then – you know, you still had J.K. Dobbins looking like he was going to, uh, you know, pretty much just waltz in for his, his second long touchdown run. 
barely got caught up. I think Ohio State then had to settle for a field goal um, after not converting the touchdown. And, and there was the – the touchdown pass, too. It had to settle for a field goal touchdown there. Pit. Yeah, it's pass. And then the, there was the pick six that wasn't, correct? Yep. Call, yep. Well, oh, yeah, the fumble the return. That That's got, what it was. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a lot of things that happened in that game. I think Ohio State was a better team. Uh, I don't know if they were better than LSU because that team was a machine. Right. But it would have been fun to see at least. Yeah, exactly. I fully believe if Ohio State and Clemson played each other ten times, Ohio State probably wins seven of them. Um, but this was one of the three that they didn't win. And so we just have to go by the, the what if, like, like this whole exercise is. Your recall is much better, uh, you know, going back to the millennium, not just because you're older. You've been around college football and working in, in sports longer than I have. So do you have any other teams going back? Because I only had one or two more written down. Uh, but I'm curious to hear what you had, if there are any other uh, football teams dating back to the turn of the millennium that jump out on paper to you. Uh, I think that 06 Ohio State team certainly sticks out. Um, it was a team that was highly ranked most of the year, had the Heisman winner in Troy Smith. Um, you know, they played a classic 42-39 game against Michigan in the 1-2 game. Uh, they won at Texas early in the year in the 1-2 game, uh, did it decisively. Uh, it was just a, it was a really, really good team. Uh, back then, you know, there was no Big Ten championship game. The season ended, you know, in late November. They had 50-some-odd days off. Uh, Florida barely got in. You know, beating Arkansas, there was talk that, you know, Michigan might have even deserved a chance to get a rematch in the national championship game because that game was such a classic. And if you're the number two team and you lose by three points on the road, should you really be docked that much? Uh, obviously, it didn't work out that way. Florida wound up going into the title game. Troy Smith uh, wound up not having a great game. Ted Ginn gets hurt on the opening kickoff after returning a touchdown. So the whole scheme gets blown up. And from there, Florida wound up running away with it. But uh, obviously, that team was really, really good. Pretty much number one uh, for the entire year. Uh, that probably would be the number two team um, in terms of the best that didn't win it. The team had, you mentioned Troy Smith. They would have had A.J. Hawk still on that team, right? Mm-hmm. James Laurinaitis. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think of other names from from those years. Gonzalez, the receiver. Beanie Wells. Beanie Wells, yeah. Even 07, I mean, that team was was great, too. I know yep. they lost to, to Illinois, but, I mean, they lost by six to them and then still made the national title game. So that, that Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of the skill positions that were back. Obviously, there was no Troy Smith on that team. Uh, but, yeah, pretty much all the skill position guys were back. A lot of the household names on defense were back. Um, it just wound up being a really crazy year where everybody – that was like number two wound up losing. And so I remember Ohio State beat Michigan at the end of the year. And I think they were like fifth or sixth at the time. And they celebrated with roses on the field, thinking that they were going to go to Rose Bowl. Yeah. And then a bunch of upsets happened. And they wind up being the number one team in the BCS and wind up going to the title game where nobody expected it. I mean, that year had like Kansas, UConn. Missouri. Yeah, US, USF, right? They were all Yeah, USF was number two at one point. West Virginia probably should have been a national title game. Got upset by uh, by our guy, Dave Wattstead, with Pitt. Right. And so, that was the Steve Slayton, Pat White years, I yep. think. Yeah, just a, just a crazy year. I, and I remember vividly watching the Ohio State-Illinois upset and the announcers saying, like, 
you know, well, Ohio State won't get a chance to play for the national title this year, but still plenty to play for or whatever. And it turned out they ended right back up in the national title game, like you said. Yeah, again, such a crazy year. I would love to see a documentary on just the craziness of that year. I fully remember the LSU Tennessee SEC championship game. Was Les Miles going to take the Michigan job or not? All of that stuff happens right before they win the game. They jump from seven to two literally in a week and wind up playing for the national title and winning it. And so it just, it was that kind of year where you had upsets all over the place and, you know, wound up getting the chaos. And that's what made college football so great. So at the risk of keeping this uh, Buckeyes only, I, I did scan some of the record books and find one non-Ohio State team as did um, I. the last 20 years. Uh, I had 2005 Penn State. Okay. And I don't remember this team all that well. I assume – was that Larry Johnson's team? Was he on that team that year? Uh, Larry Johnson, um, but that, that was an interesting team because that was right on the heels of Joe Paterno's probably like three roughest years. And then they literally came out of nowhere. Right. And went 12-1. and one. Michael Robinson was the quarterback. Um, they, <laughs> they got – I'll say it was a controversial loss in Ann Arbor where they lose on the final play of the game. Uh, Lloyd Carter winds up getting That was their only loss, right? Yep, that was their only loss. Um, unfortunately, you had Texas USC that year. Right. That were clearly the two best. Obviously, if there was a playoff, Penn State would have been in it, you know, as the number three team. But I don't think they would have beaten either one of those two teams. But unfortunately, it was no playoff to find out. Yeah, it's kind of like the Penn State teams the last few years. Like, they've been really talented, uh, really good at times with only a couple losses and, and still get overshadowed just by some generational teams almost. Uh, like you said, Texas USC, I mean, I still remember that game vividly. How excited I was in sixth grade at school the day of that game, the Monday. Um, just excited to watch it because Reggie Bush and, and Matt Leiner and those guys and Vince Young were – such stars and, and really kind of elevated college football that year to a level that even, you know, as a middle schooler that didn't have a, a great college football team to root for at the time could still get invested in, in the sport at large. And that was like the days of NCAA football too. Like I remember a lot of my friends playing the video games and it was just, it was just really exciting to, to follow. And I think that's really outside of the Miami Ohio state game in 2002, that's kind of the, one of the first, championship games I vividly remember watching. Yeah, I mean, like you said, a bunch of star power on the field. I mean, Reggie Bush, Heisman winner, Matt Liner won it the year before. Uh, Bush shared the backfield with Lindale White, another pro. Vince Young had a bunch of talent around him, but obviously he was the marquee guy and made all the key plays at key times. You had it at the Rose Bowl, so you yeah, that pageantry involved, too, goes down to the last few seconds. You know, he run. I still remember him running into the corner, you know, for the game-winning score. And so, Keith I don't Jackson know if that title that. game will ever be top. Yeah, and then Keith Jackson called that game. Yep. I remember I had it. I, uh, it was the days of the iPods were coming out. And I got one of those iPod videos, and that was, like, the first video I put on my iPod was that I somehow I downloaded or bought the off the iTunes store the – 2005 nice. championship game. Didn't care about either team, but just like it was such a good game. It was such a good game. I had to test out that iPod video capability. Um, H, what else you got as far as football goes? You said you had another team or two. 
I did. Um, and I feel like they kind of get forgotten about a little bit because of the Ohio State dominance. But that 2013 Michigan State team really, really came on toward the end of the year, finished number three in the country. Um, the problem with them is that they lost a controversial game to Notre Dame back in September, and they had a bunch of uncertainty at quarterback. And so they wound up not getting ranked basically until – you know, the end of October, early November. And they went from the 20s to number 10 by the time the Big Ten Championship game started. They upset Ohio State. They get the fourth in the country. So there they would have been in the playoff if there was a playoff. Obviously, they were one year too early. They wind up beating Stanford, finishing number three. And that was a team that had the best defense in the country, led by Thorpe Award winner Darquez Denard, you know, Connor Cook, you know, Big Ten Championship game MVP, Rose Bowl MVP. I would have been really, really curious to see that defense against Jameis Winston in Florida State in the Rose Bowl. But unfortunately, the playoff was one year too too early. Yeah, I was wondering if you're going to put a Michigan State team in there. And with all the great teams they had, especially in the 2010s, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there were some deserving candidates. And like you said, it's too bad the, the playoff wasn't implemented until – a year later, I was thinking about, you know, just Ohio State and Penn State have had some great teams since 2000. Uh, Iowa's had some talented ones, Wisconsin as well. I don't know, though, if those were like all time teams that you look back on, like, you know, maybe in the right year they could have they could have done it. I know Iowa had the great run in 2015 to the Big Ten title game, almost made the playoff. Um, Wisconsin this past year, you know, the first six games or so looked like they were going to be an all time Big Ten team. There's just been. Uh, a lot of Hall of Very Good teams and then uh, a couple Hall of Fame-level teams that have, have risen above them. So uh, I don't know if you had any had any others on the football side before we moved to basketball. Um, I, again, I'm with you on the Hall of Very Good. I mean, that 2011 Wisconsin team was really, really good. The, the one year Russell Wilson Russell was on Wilson, campus. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they had a couple last-second losses on the road to Michigan State and Ohio State, which kind of took them out of – any national title game uh, contention. You know, Iowa, obviously, very consistent program. 2002, you know, they wound up splitting the Big Ten title with Ohio State because they didn't play each other that year, but they both went undefeated in conference. Uh, Brad Banks was second in the Heisman that year at quarterback. And so, obviously, they're a really good team. But Miles Clark, was he on that team? Yeah, he was. And, unfortunately, you know, they, get, they play USC in the Orange Bowl. Carson Palmer senior year and things didn't wind up going so well. So unfortunately, again, we've had a lot of Hall of Very Goods, very few elites, and the teams that we've had that have been elite, there's usually been maybe one or two that have been better and have prevented them from taking home the crown. All right, let's switch it over to hoops now. Um, I got more candidates for this one, and I just I was more of a college basketball diehard growing up. So I think I have better recollection just as far as the, the scenarios go for some of these teams. But um, we can start, I think, most recently with the Badgers in, in 2015. Um, I really thought one of those teams, either in 14 when they made it to the Final Four or 15 when they made it all the way to the title game, was going to get it done. Um, it seemed like that program had kind of built into those types of teams for pretty much 20 years under Bo Ryan. Um, you know, they, they built themselves up into a national – uh, brand and name and then they finally got some real uh, high-end talent in their national player of the year in Kaminsky and NBA talent in Decker and a lot of complimentary pieces that 
look like could potentially get him over the top. They just ran into a, a really talented Duke team and kind of the, the age when Coach K started to turn to the whole, uh, the whole one-and-done system hasn't really looked back from there. Yeah, that, that Wisconsin 2015 team is the one that sticks out to me. The fact that they were able to knock off Kentucky, you know, in that undefeated season with a lot of the guys uh, that lost to Kentucky the year before, you know, they had the, the top offense in the country at a national player of the year. Frank Kaminsky had another pro and Sam Decker. Guys who played really good roles, you know, Nigel Hayes, Bronson Koenig, Josh Gosser, lockdown defender. I mean, they had, they had it all. And I fully believe that they still should have beaten Duke. Uh, I think Grayson Allen might still be shooting free throws because of what Coach K said at halftime about how we can't get them to foul us. And for whatever reason, a team like Wisconsin that doesn't file often sent Duke to the line often and a, you know, a nine point second half lead slowly went away because of Grayson Allen and Tyus Jones. And so now I feel like that was probably our best chance uh, as a conference in terms of winning the title. Yeah. And part of this episode actually uh, for us was the, the guest Ben Brust, um, our, now analyst and former Badger, and I, and I haven't decided yet if I'm going to put the clips of his teammates that we recorded following our interview. So essentially what I did was talk to Ben for a podcast interview, then he got his, uh, his buddies from the 14 team when he was on it still, and uh, some of the guys that carried over to the 15 team on a Zoom call. And it was Brust and Kaminsky and Decker, Josh Gosser, and Zach Showalter. So uh, I kind of observed while they – chatted and also watched some clips from their playing days and kind of reminisced about some of the bigger moments. And it was really cool to reflect on just as an observer and just see the guys kind of replaying the moments in their heads and, and sharing little nuggets of things that, you know, as a fan, you don't always know about or see. And one of the funny things that, that stood out was when they all were kind of talking about, the moment when they realized that Frank Kaminsky was just on this other level, like that they just were not as good as him, that he was a national player of the year caliber player after being kind of a scrub his first year and a half or so. And it was funny. They were like, Frank, when did you know, when did you know you were good? And and he just, you know, he joking a little bit, but also just saying like, yeah, I, I knew after a while that, you know, I was better than all you guys, essentially. Maybe Decker had something to say about that, but um, it was funny watching them reflect. And then another, another theme, even though most of the conversation was, really playful and fun like the the fact that it's just a shame that that group didn't win a national title that it was probably Wisconsin's best chance um definitely their best chance in the modern era and then going forward who knows how long it'll take to get back to that that level of basketball so uh like you said it was a shame I I, I think I would disagree I might be biased because I grew up with this team I think the Illinois 2005 team was probably better than 15 Wisconsin um and similar situation you know a historic team, kind of the culmination of a, a, a long build. And um, they, the pros are in there with a outstanding complimentary roster. You know, pieces just fit for that 05 Illinois team. And the story is kind of similar. They, they ran into a ACC team that was loaded with pro talent. Um, I think Illinois fans would agree or at least find – comfort in their corner with Wisconsin fans and in, in feeling that they were uh, treated unfairly by the refs in, in those games. 
But again, you know, at the end of the day, they just ran into supremely talented teams that were that are powerhouse uh, national programs, and it, it, it's kind of unfair. You know, you think like Duke and North Carolina, they've got enough titles. Like let you know, let the Wisconsin's, let the Illinois, the, the fan bases that are dying for one just to get one. And and you know, it's, I think those two teams are similar in talent level and in kind of just the the whole what if of of what if that game just could have gone a little differently? Because those teams were good enough to beat their counterparts on that day. It just didn't happen. No, I agree. And Illinois was was my number two. I think those two teams, that Illinois and that Wisconsin team, are probably a tier above the other teams in terms of the ones that uh, just missed out. Um, obviously, the, the 2005 Elite Eight game against Arizona will always you know stick out in terms of a team that had a will, that they just wouldn't lose. Um, pros all over the place with, with Darren and Luther Head. And still would have been nice if James Augustine would have been allowed to play in a national title game, uh, considering how Sean May pretty much got away with bullying, you know, doing whatever he wanted in, in the paint and the post. But um, despite all of that, and despite the fact that Illinois didn't shoot well that day, they still had a three to potentially tie it in the final minute and just, you know, didn't get it done. But, I mean, they, they tied it, too. It was uh... – it was tied at 70 and, and I'll, I, I was at that game. I don't know if you were, I don't know if we talked about this. If you were, were you in St. Louis for the final four that year? I was, we came back after we lost to Carolina. Right. I mean, I still remember that semifinal Saturday where Illinois beat Louisville. A lot of Michigan state fans had uh, pretty much all of them were rooting for Illinois. And, and then a lot of Illinois fans hung around to root for Michigan state uh, just to get the, the big 10 uh, camaraderie going. That was a lot of fun. And I've kind of always liked Michigan state. Um, you know, obviously I, I like them to this day because it's my job to, but, you know, back as a fan growing up, like I always had a soft spot for Michigan state because I remember that, that day and uh, that experience at the final four. But like you said, um, in the, in the final and, and in that game, you know, Carolina kind of got, got whatever they wanted. I'll always remember they tied it at 70, I think in the final minute or so. And somebody didn't box out, Marvin Williams and he tipped a, a terrible shot by UNC in to to go ahead and like you said you know that even though they played they were outplayed by North Carolina pretty much that whole game until you know the last five minutes or so uh it was right there for the taking even though they played far from their best game so yeah again uh, you know it was kind of the same with Arizona where you know they were outplayed most of the way but you know that game in Rosemont shots fell and you know, in St. Louis, they didn't, unfortunately. But, you know, to your point, I remember that 2005 very vividly. It was a lot of ILL chance throughout that whole first game for Michigan State fans and Illinois fans. And then in the second game, I remember a lot of go green, go white from the Illini crowd. So it was definitely cool to have that that camaraderie for the league. Definitely. Um, and staying on MSU, I guess we want to keep it, keep it recent. Um, I just kind of thought of this. Because I was thinking about teams that maybe didn't even sniff the the title game or the Final Four, but had a, a ton of talent and probably you know had championship talent if they could have gotten together in earlier rounds of the tournament or late in the season. Um, and that's the Michigan State squad. I think that was seventeen eighteen when they had Cassius Winston and uh, Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson and just couldn't figure out that two three zone in Syracuse. And then another one I had was the. 2013 Indiana squad that had Oladipo and Zeller 
and uh, Yogi Ferrell, and and I don't believe they made it past the Sweet 16 either. So those are just a couple teams that are interesting to me because they were like littered with pros, like you said, and and for whatever reason just tripped up relatively early in the tournament. Yeah, it's for whatever reason our, that 2018 Michigan State team just couldn't quite put it together. Um, I fully believe they would have been seated higher um, if the net was involved. Um, obviously, that was the year where that was the last year of the RPI being the main tool. And for whatever reason, their schedule that year just didn't quite jive with the <laughs> with the RPI, even though they were a top five, top six team in every other metric and they wanted to be in a three seed. Um, and, you know, still a game they should have won against Syracuse, but shots didn't fall. And for whatever reason, you know, even though they were really talented, they seemed to have a lot of struggles. You know, obviously the Northwestern game, the fact that they were down 27 to begin with, you know, even though they came back, it was just a lot of those kind of games where they had to wind up trying to find a way to win. They weren't as dominant as you thought they would be. Um, I think the ones that stick out to me are the years, as we mentioned before, where it's a wide open year and you don't get the chance to, that there, there is no Duke or Carolina at the end and you still come up a little short. Last year's Michigan State team, you know, it was a wide open Final Four. I still remember Matt McQuay with a chance to tie it late after not playing well at all. I feel like if that shot goes in, they might wind up playing Virginia and then who knows. Uh, 2014 really sticks out because we had three teams in Elite Eight. And I remember we were trying to figure out if we were just gonna completely blow out the budget in case all three went to the Final Four. Uh, Michigan State had a second half lead slip away against UConn and I was a team that was preseason number two and finally got in the form, just beat Virginia, who was the number one seed, winds up losing to Shabazz Napier and company. Then obviously Michigan and Wisconsin both get Aaron Harrison and, you know, both lose on last second shots. And the title game features a seven seed versus eight seed. And I feel like any one of those three Big Ten teams had a chance to win it that year. Yeah, that's brutal. And and going back to 2013, I mean, it's such a good year for Big Ten basketball um, at the top, at least, of the league. A lot of games were super competitive. And I had Indiana as one of those teams listed just because of that talent they had. But uh, Michigan that year, uh, super talented as well. I mean, you look, I think they had six NBA players on that team, yep. um, at least guys who made it to the league at one point. They were like – they were a four seed, weren't they? They didn't. They were, and they good. probably should have lost to Kansas. Uh, you know, Trey Burke wound up – you know, he showed why he was national player of the year. You know, pretty much yeah, led yeah. them back by himself. Um, but like you said, super talented with him and Hardaway and Robinson, Stauskas and Karis LeVert, McGarry. I mean, all those guys. And so they were one team that actually beat Syracuse. We kept talking about all these teams that lost to Syracuse. They actually beat Syracuse. Um, you know, Spike Albrecht does his thing against Louisville. They have his big lead in the first half. And, uh, and then it winds up being tied at halftime, even though Trey Burke's in foul trouble. There's the controversial block from Burke on Peyton Siva that they call a foul. And who knows what happens if they actually call that block cleanly. But again, I was a, that was certainly an opportunity for a Big Ten team to cut down the nets there as well. Yeah, for sure. And just looking up and down that, that roster, it's crazy that, one, they didn't even win the Big Ten that year, right? Indiana. That was the yeah, Jordan Morgan year where it, it fell out, right? Yep. Yeah. If, if Michigan wins that game, uh, it's probably a four-way tie for first. 
Uh, instead, Indiana wins it uh, outright by a game. And I think Michigan was like the five seed in the Big Ten tournament that year, which shows how loaded that yeah. league was. I remember seeing that Jordan Morgan game in my, my freshman year dorm room, and it was wild. That was a fun year for Big Ten basketball, a fun year to be a freshman in college and getting to see a lot of those games up close. It's funny, like, I feel like Syracuse has not had a great decade. You know, I feel like they've declined and, and they've kind of tailed off in the Bayheim era, and it's just kind of been – this, uh, you know, kind of the end of the end of the era here, but they've been to, I think, two Final Fours at least. They've, they've been the demise for some really good Big Ten teams like we talked about. Even though they haven't been great the last few years, I mean, they, like we, we talked about, made a unlikely run to the Final Four, I think in 15 when they were like a 10 seed or something. Yeah, the, way, the year they beat Michigan State uh, in 2018, they, yeah, they made it all the way as a 10 seed. Or 18, that was 18? Off, uh, they were a 10 seed? Yeah, in 18. Yeah. That's what it was. And so, you know, wind up coming back, knocking off Virginia, who was, you know, one seed in Elite Eight. And so, like, you know, to your point, I mean, they've been a team that, you know, kind of lived on the bubble. Are we going to get in? Are we not going to get in? You know, flirting with the first four. And you go from the first four to making it all the way to the final four. I mean, that matchup, that, that zone gives people a lot of problems if they don't have a lot of time to prepare for it. I'm sure there are a lot of Syracuse fans out there that are, you know, bemoaning the, the fall from, from glory that that program has had a little bit as far as just being a top 10, 15 team every year. There's certainly worse places to be as a college basketball fan than, you know, where even now they're at at the end of the Bayheim era. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think, you know, programs like that, you get a little spoiled. It's kind of like, well, you know, we see – Know, our rivals doing this and you know now in the ACC it's like well Duke's doing this and Carolina's doing this and Louisville's doing this why aren't we doing this and you know there's only one team that gets to win it every year I mean for as great as Duke is and you know for as talented as they are and how many one and done guys they get I mean they still haven't gone to the final four since they won it in 2015 I mean it's just a fickle sport all right I had one more team Mark down here, and that's the 07, I believe. I think I have the year right. Uh, Ohio State, Greg Oden, Conley. I think another uh, six man who was a lottery pick in Daquan. I think Daquan Cook was on those teams, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just another loaded team that uh, made it all the way to the final and ultimately fell to Florida again. We're talking about these teams that lose to Florida in the title game in football and basketball. That was wild that those teams like <laughs> pretty much rematched in multiple sports, but uh, that that team was unbelievably hyped up and loaded and for good reason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, between Odin and Conley, you know, they had David Lighty, glue guy. You know, Daquan Cook was super talented. Um, you know, they had upperclassmen in Ron Lewis, you know, who wound up saving them in the second round against Xavier, um, and they wound up riding that momentum all the way to the title game. Um, you saw what all the hype was about with Greg Oden when he was fully healthy. He dominated that title game, and it was a shame we didn't get to see that, you know him have the pro career that he should have had if not for the injuries. That was crazy. I just remember that year him shooting free throws left-handed and basically playing one-handed because his, his shooting hand was broken, I think. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun to, <laughs> a lot of fun to see those guys come up because that was really the first time LeBron, I guess, kind of started it off when they were showing high school games on ESPN. You could see these guys come through. But I remember watching uh, those Indiana high school teams with yeah, Odin and Conley. Yeah. Yep. And um, that was the first time I'd really followed guys from high school to college. And 
you know, kind of seen it come to fruition and, you know, Conley's still making a living uh, in the NBA and, and made a ton of money, actually. I shouldn't, shouldn't downplay it. He's done very well, well for himself. And um, yeah, like you said, a shame that didn't get to see Greg's career pan out like a lot of us thought it would. Um, any other teams, H, in the, in the uh, millennium that have come up short? Because I, I feel like we named quite a few, but I don't know if you had There's another Ohio list. State team that we're forgetting about here. That 2011 version was Evan nasty. Turner. They were really, really good. It was post-Evan Turner. But oh, that's right. I was with Sullinger mm-hmm. and John Diebler and Will Buford. They were the overall number one seed entering the tournament. They right. ran away with the Big Ten. They won the Big Ten tournament. Um, I mean, just a super efficient offense. And, you know, shots didn't fall against Kentucky. You know, Brandon Knight hits a, hits a shot late in the game, you know, last few seconds, and they wind up losing by two uh, in the Sweet 16. It was a team that, you know, a lot of people thought would win it all. And, you know, they didn't even get a chance to make it to the Final Four. And so, again, in the, the one-game knockout, if you don't bring your best, you wind up going home and – no, a lot of times the best team doesn't win. And I feel like 2011 was one of those times. All right, really good stuff. Any other teams on your list? Any other uh, squads need acknowledging here? No, I think we, we've covered a lot of them again. And we, we've talked about the teams that, you know, have gone on and faced, you know, juggernauts, you know, whether it's the 05 Illinois or 09 Michigan State or uh, 15 Wisconsin and 17 Michigan that have just faced – teams with a bunch of pros on them but I think the ones that really sting are the ones where you got a chance in a wide open year and you don't get it done whether that's you know 2010 with when Michigan State loses the Butler you know the the fact that you know Auburn and Texas Tech and, and Virginia all barely make the final four Michigan State has a chance to do it then you know the fact that you know years like that where there is no clear favorite or no clear two favorites and for whatever reason you don't make the final four or you get there and you lose a game that you probably should win I think those are the ones that stick out the most 2014 Wisconsin is probably the the biggest example of that you could also reverse engineer that right it's it's like put some of these all-time great college basketball and big 10 teams and drop them in other years and and for whatever reason, you know, they, they played in the years they did. But, I mean, if you put 2005 Illinois or 2015 Wisconsin against UConn and Butler in, in some of those national championship oh, games, absolutely. I think it's a wrap. Oh, yeah. I mean, those are probably double-digit wins, I think. Um, and, again, not, those two teams I feel like are, are head and shoulders better than every other team that didn't win it. Um, and, like you said, those are all-time teams in any other year they probably win it going away and, you know, we wouldn't be having this, you know, 20 year drop that we're talking about. Right. We're having this what if conversation. It's a lot of what if conversations going on, uh, you know, just in, in these unprecedented times. So we'll try and continue to come up with topics and have some fresh discussions, conversations, and uh, you know, try and keep the content as, uh, as entertaining as possible. So I think we did a good job this week. H appreciate you brainstorming coming up with some uh good dialogue and stay safe stay healthy and we'll get back at it next week thanks man you do the same this was fun it was fun to actually talk about some sports even though nothing's actually live right now but it was fun to at least kind of have a little bit of normalcy
All right. Thanks once again to Harold and Ben for joining the show. Always appreciate both those guys. Uh, gotten to know both of them really well over the last few years. And uh, they're always excellent to talk shop, talk sports, and chop it up with. So appreciate them jumping on. And appreciate everyone out there for listening. We'll continue to try and ramp up the podcast schedule and get as many guests as possible in this downtime. I said it before, um, you know, obviously we want everyone staying safe and healthy out there. If there's any silver lining, it's that there's very few excuses now that uh, people can give me not to come on the show. So I know most people are sitting at home and, and uh, ready to be called up and talk about their lives and their stories and sports. So try and continue to get as many sports figures on as possible here in the near future and we'll appreciate you continuing to listen just like we appreciate julie bronder for continuing to produce these podcasts working from home all right thanks to everyone once again out there for listening hope everyone's staying at home staying safe and staying healthy and we'll talk to you real soon here on the take 10 podcast